Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm Chuck. Today's episode is brought to you by Lower Gentry Studios. Subscribe to Lower Gentry Studios on YouTube and you will get updates of new episodes of this podcast as well as new episodes of Canyon County, the web series. You can see episode one right now on this exact same YouTube channel. So you should check it out after this podcast. Definitely stick around for the entirety of this podcast. I sit down and chat with Morgan Madison. He is an electronic music composer. He talks a lot about his secrets to success. He has a lot of valuable information to share, especially for those of you that are looking to break through um, with your material to an audience. So enjoy. And we're recording. Oh yeah, man. I'm Welcome, excited. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to come out here today and chat about your music. Yeah, um, absolutely. We were just about to get into the topic of how you make your music. Yeah. And uh, you were you were baffled by the headphones. And, yeah, I never and, used a headphone mixer. You know, it's kind of like... Yeah, we got our own separate volume. I, I realize that it's much better than a splitter because I played guitar for years when I was in high school and college. And so like I'm, my hearing has definitely suffered. Because yeah, I, I was that stereotypical guitar player that liked to turn the guitar up louder than all the other people in the band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a common problem. Man. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't. We're just jerks like that, though. Yeah, it's like it's, I want to be able to hear myself, and they're like, "We need to be able to hear ourselves." But anyway, so yeah. um, I, I started on drums actually. Oh, okay. Um, I've been drummer for like twelve years, and uh, that was always my problem. It was like I couldn't play gently, you know. Oh, okay. So just just like bang the crap out of the. Out of the set, and like you do, you'd have to hook somebody up to like a huge PA system to just get it to sound right. And was... oh, I suppose, yeah, the drums they don't they definitely have one volume if you're playing them loud. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean... So, so you play drums for for a long time, mm-hmm. and now you do electronic music. Yeah, to, how do you compose? Tell me about that process. I'm not super familiar with the electronic yeah. end of things. I have FL Studio on my computer, which is how I do uh, the the music for a lot of the uh, films. That we release, and so is it similar to that? Is yeah, it... I mean, I use uh, I used Ableton Live ten. Okay, right now, or I started on eight, and then I went to nine and ten, and um, I just use like like fifteen different VSTs, like a you know the each I just have like my own unique setup with synthesizers and my sample libraries that I hunt for, and just sort of over time like use you know I use Ableton and I'll plug like synthesizers in and just compose the music but okay it all happens different like um a lot of my music vst is, out, is uh virtual virtual studio technology i think it stands for oh, okay so like like you just it's literally like um you just drag like silent or massive or i'm sure like all the hip-hop guys know what massive is okay uh because it's like really good for like 808s and bass music and, oh okay got it um or Serum, or uh, just uh, like all all of it, really. Eight Oh Eight's a f- very famous drum synthesizer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I cool. think the big hip hop thing, like for a while, was like just get FL and have Massive, and because mm. like they're so it's so easy to make Eight Oh Eights and a synth like Massive and things like that. But um, ba- yeah, basically what I do is um, under the Morgan Madison stuff, I started really taking like the the root the root of it will always be like like a good sample. Mm-hmm. You'll find like um a, like a royalty free like sung phrase or something like that, and okay. maybe sometimes cut cut the syllables up into something that isn't necessarily like a word, but it's like a catchy like like on Spotify. If you look at my song Better Days, there's no mm-hmm. words at all. It's just yeah. like it's like human voices singing something, you know. So. And that's a cool track too, by the way. That was one obviously that I click on first because that's the first one that pops up on Spotify right. when you search your name. Yeah, which is interesting because it's not my most like popular track. Like, oh okay. The thing is, um, 
like as, as an electronic guy, like you want to focus on, especially when you're on the come up, you like, well, in any form of music, really like, uh, like playlisting is like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So you want to, not that you want to compromise to be on a playlist, but like when I first started out, it was like, you know, I'd quit my job and it was like, how am I going to actually do this? You know, it's like, even if I'm really good at making the music, like how, how feasibly do you get enough plays to like make a living, you know? Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, congratulations. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what awesome. I do. Yeah. It's, um, it's been pretty crazy. Like yeah. I've only been up for like, uh, doing it for like a year and, um, Last weekend, actually, I had like my first guest mix on SiriusXM uh, Chill. Okay, I saw that on on Facebook. I don't yeah. have uh, XM SiriusXM unless there's no, a way to stream it. It's all good. Oh, okay. I think it's 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 an interesting. They're kind of doing an interesting thing. Like, um, it comes like stock in cars. Yeah, and then like they'll. I sold cars for a year, so I am familiar with. Oh that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you. Like people probably asked you, they're like, "Am I gonna have to like pay for this?" Or like, "What's the deal?" Um, but yeah, and they give you a year free. GM used to. I mean, I don't know what it is now. Really, it's a yeah. year? They they used to do a year. For, I sold cars in 2005, so I'm sure things have changed yeah. since then. But it was kind of th- that that satellite tracking technology, like OnStar, was just coming out right at that time. And so they'd give you the 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 radio. And at that time, it was amazing, you know, because the reception was really awesome. And then, like, the content was really great compared to just what was coming on over the air. Yeah. But, th- you know, since then, like, you know, Steve Jobs came out with that little iPhone thing. And yeah, that kind of changed everything. Yeah, it's been a... It's, it's, <laughs> like the industry definitely fluctuated like in terms of like music consumption and everything so so you were featured on on Sirius on one of their on one of their shows yeah uh well originally what happened was i came out with an ep called uh destinations late last year and mm-hmm. one of the singles from the ep uh got picked up i think it's still playing on Sirius XM okay um channel 53 which is like just the chill electronic channel okay so there's i mean there's like two real electronic channels i mean there's like channel 52 which is like bangers just like bro step and not okay. really but like it's like heavier like electro sort of music and right then, on. stuff that you can just get up and dance to all night yeah on ecstasy <laughs> yeah okay. yeah well not you that know i would know yeah whatever your preference may be but <laughs> yeah. i would definitely say that's the channel to do it with okay uh, but yeah and then 53 is like it's got a lot of house music okay and it's still like you can still play it like in clubs and everything but it's more like relaxed and artistic on that channel so cool so yeah you how did you so you, you were working a job, which I thought was interesting. I was telling you earlier, I read your, your tree fort, uh, yeah, bio yeah. and it says lobbyist turned musician, Yeah, which I mean, such a cliche, right? Well, like there's so many of you. <laughs> oh yeah. Lobbyists. Like to mean to make that switch. Yeah. Lobbyists yeah, yeah. turned musicians. No. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. Like I, I always like to put that in there cause it's just like, I, I don't know. It's, I think it's kind of cool that, uh, someone can go from like a political ish job and then just like go the other end of the spectrum and yeah. just be honest about it, you know? There was Cause... a, I was actually just listening this morning to uh, Hidden Brain. I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast at all. It's an NPR one where they take a, talk about like human psychology, sociology and stuff. Oh, and you know, I think I've, I've yeah, I've heard, I've, I've listened to this a couple of times. So, yeah. and I wrote this down too, cause I thought it was kind of interesting. So Yo-Yo Ma has this group and they're called the uh, Silk Road Missionaries. And so they're all different people from different cultures that come together and then they make an amalgam. Like they just basically get together and jam. That and, sounds sick. And so it's it's trying to mix all these different ethnic types of music and they they enjoy it because they come up with different ideas. And so I think it's kind of interesting that you're a lobbyist. You were a lobbyist. And I wonder how that influences well, what you Because a lot of times unrelated things can come together and make something that's different, unique and better than what... Uh, a lot of people just follow the path 
yeah. normally. I, I was wondering if that had any influence your lobbying experience on. I mean, definitely like, I don't know if it would, like the main driver always like when you like go into music or something you love, it's just because you love to do it, you mm-hmm. know. But like, I definitely think my background, because like growing up around D.C. and, you know, my parents were involved in politics like my whole life. And um, it definitely sort of like gave me a drive to like, work hard i guess and like honestly assess whether i could do it or not like when i when i actually uh quit and i don't think i was like i wasn't strictly a lobbyist i just worked with like a firm um that did that so like my my technical title was like public affairs manager okay and i really just oh i bet that helps i suppose yeah well i mean like you can't just like i can't really write in my bio like Mm. like a former public affairs man like the ps would be like there'd be a huge it'd be like people would be like what is that so Mm -hmm. um but basically, like, yeah, what, well, j- to preface this, so, like, what happened was I was at that job, mm-hmm. and I released an album under, like, a different name than Morgan Madison, because my friend and I were, like, doing sort of, like, an interesting content platform, okay. and we were, like, streaming all our video games, uploading just, like, movie reviews, and then, like, I was releasing music under that name. It was just, like, a fun way to just release, like, a bunch of multimedia content. And okay. I released uh, like a full-length album with no singles. I just dropped it like into the streaming services and everything under that previous name. Okay. And then uh, Apple got in contact with my distributor and was like, we want to like get this guy's permission to use his album art and the uh, promotional materials for the HomePod. Okay. So I was like... You know, I just like I was at my job like randomly one day, and I got this email hmm. from the head of artist relations at TuneCore, which was the distributor I was using. Okay, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, we got this thing from Apple. They want to like use your like your album assets like in their marketing." And I'm like, "Are you serious?" And he was like, <laughs> "Yeah." And it was just out of the blue. Am I getting like, trolled here? Because I put the album out, and it was like really experimental, and the whole internet was just taking a dump on me. Oh, okay. And, like, not that the production was bad. It was just, like, you know, how are we, like, what crowd is this catered to and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so when I got, when that Apple thing happened, I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, I can actually do, I can form something that's, like, professional and, like, do it. So, like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I was, I was just like, that's cool, you know. And so I had, like, a like a good amount in savings and I was just like, guys, I'm I'm out, you know. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm really passionate about it and I think I can do it. Sweet. So then I left and I took about six months to like really like take my production skills to like the next level. And then I launched Morgan Madison. And How did that look? The production, getting your production skills up? Yeah. I mean, it was like, I was probably like 80% there on well, 70 to 80% like to, to professional, like just there Okay. when I quit. But the problem um, that I learned on that previous music was like, no matter how good you are at like your instrument or your particular niche type of music, you know, how are you going to market that? You know, like the best guitar solo in the world or like the best track in the world objectively without a proper rollout or or plan as to where it's going to go and to who it's going to go to is kind of like, you know, it's never going to see the light of day. Oh, okay. I basically, yeah. Been there. Yeah, it's a I huge, know. like, thing, and it takes, like, just a lot of, like, self-analysis and, like, just brutal criticism in order to, like, uh, for me at least, like, to learn where, what to do with that, so. So you're talking about on the production end, not the music creation end, you're talking about the marketing. Yeah. 
I mean, so honestly, like, like, uh, got like, I don't know. It's like, even if you have like bad music and, and your marketing is like 100% correct, or like if you hit like a, like a niche, like that's, mm -hmm. that's why guys like Lil Pump are viral, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like this. Six, I'm not familiar with Lil well, Pump. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't listen to Lil Pump, but it's just an okay. example of like, it's this like kid with like pink dreadlocks, you know, and he puts mm -hmm. out like just his songs are just like, bad like just like really bad rap songs they're like two minutes long okay and i think one of them's like literally half the lyrics like to gucci gang which was like his big breakout was like gucci gang like he's just saying gucci gang gucci gang gucci gang gucci gang like i don't know if you want to well, go I'm into to this it. now all of a sudden like <laughs> no. and it's it just went like it just went totally viral and yeah and it was just because like who's gonna forget that like there's like a 16 year old with pink dreads saying saying gucci gang over and over again and, and mm -hmm. that was it and like for me for me it was more like um Finding a balance between Gucci Gang and yeah. like actually writing good <laughs> no, music. I think yeah, that's, that's an extreme example, but it's more yeah. like uh, it's more like when you put your song out, like when you get it to streaming services, like how do you point the ears to the thing? Yeah. And I started to realize, like when I was launching, that no matter who you are, like like rap or like electronic, country, mm -hmm. whatever you are, um, I started doing research on Spotify specifically because Spotify was one of the first streaming services to open their metric system, so like it tells you how many plays are on it. Yeah. So like, okay, they were one of the first to do that, uh, to my knowledge. Besides SoundCloud, but no one uses SoundCloud anymore because they died for some reason. Hmm. And um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have I pay for Spotify, so I'm just there yeah. all the time. Yeah, I mean it's the best platform for like exposure, especially because of like Discover Weekly and everything. But like when I rolled out, I started to realize that most of these people who have like two million monthly listeners or whatever, you know, probably seventy percent of their or sixty to seventy percent of their listenership was coming from instance-based listeners that were running into their music on playlists. Okay, instance-based listeners. So, like, let's say, like, um, I'm, like, a chill pop artist, like, okay. electronic artist, and I make songs that are, like, palatable to, like, the uh, chill tracks or um, fresh and chill playlists on Spotify. You know, each of, these, okay. each of these playlists have, like, one to two million followers. Some of them have, like, five million. Okay. So there are people oh, okay. who pay for Spotify and then they say, Spotify, like when you open the app, it's got these playlists that are like, you know, hanging with friends, like yeah. night out. It's just like, well, let me throw got this it. on, you know? Got it. Yeah. That is something I don't use that feature because I have just like all this, I just sit and make playlists for myself all the time. Right. Yeah. But, but people do make public playlists yeah. that everyone can download on or look at, download as well if you pay for it and, yeah. and listen to. Okay. So you're talking about, so you're, you're, you're finding the... You're marketing yours to those individuals then? Is that how it well, went? Or? It's, it's been an interesting path. So like the first song I put out was called Dream. It was like this like borderline or orchestral like build piece with like orchestra drums and then the drop hits and it's like enormous sounding like mm -hmm. and um, that did all right because I got I was able to like literally my grind was like for a while when I was self-releasing at first it was like put the song out and then I would spend literally 15 hours like I would type in, like, if the song sounds like Odessa, for instance, I would type in Odessa in the Spotify search, find every single person who had created a sizable playlist themed around that genre of music, and then I would find them on Twitter. I would message them. I would be like, hey, I'm this new guy. Here's my song. Like, would you would you want to oh, support wow. it? Okay. And so eventually, like, I think it got on, like, a like two major, like, future-based playlists and then, like, a study, like, an instrumental study playlist or something like that. Okay. And so, like... I mean, it's like one of my smallest songs, but at the time it was like, you know, 500 plays a day on your first songs, like cool. You know, that's a cool thing when you finally see like your song pass a thousand on Spotify or whatever. Yeah. And um, then so after that, like 
I released a couple like tropical house tracks because I started to realize that like I was better at making like four on the floor beats and everything like that. And then uh, Better Days happened like two months into Morgan Madison and that got picked up by like Spotify's um, official playlists and it got on like I think one called like Tropis House and like House Chill Out. And um, okay, so then it started doing like two, three thousand streams a day. And then, uh-huh. so then it gets like once, like you get thrown into Discover Weekly, which is their algorithmic stuff. Then yeah. your catalog, I use that like all the time. Yeah, I use dude. Discover Weekly every single week. I have it. I have it set to automatically download, and then I listen to it on my drive to work and my drive home. Because yeah, I've I've said this on other podcasts, but uh, when you're th- they've done a study when you're 32, you don't listen to new music. Like they Spotify released it. Most people don't, and that's why I'm like, yeah. ad- I'm adamant about making sure that I'm exposing myself to as much new music as possible, so I don't get stuck in that rut. Yeah, I mean, it's also good, like, because people like that, like, and that's the cool part is like when people start to like pass, you know, like 22 years old, they actually get passionate about like a certain sound, and mm-hmm. they'll start to like follow smaller artists and like really know what they want, and like that's why people get like longer careers, and that's that's one of the things that Spotify is really good about is like once you start to gain traction, it's like. Then you, then you get thrown in these algorithms. Like if I was to stop making music today, but still there would still be like thousands of listeners for probably like a few years. Because people just keep reading. Because <laughs> it's just like yeah. it's just like like in terms of metrics, like once you're in, once you get things circulating, it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like a weird like human body of music. It's like the like the blood gets flowing, and you mm. have no idea where like your music's going to be. You know, it's like I think Better Days is at like almost one point four million. Wow. So it's like, I don't know who's, like, that's all Discover Weekly, too. I think, like, 11% of that is their editorial playlists. Oh, interesting. Because because the more, like, um, you get thrown into these playlists where people run into your music, like, they, like, streaming services pay attention to the ratio of, like, repeat listens and, like, saves and stuff like that. And then they push your stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, so okay. like, so for instance, like, when Better Days got on uh, Tropisk House, February 2018 yeah like a year ago okay it stayed on there like and there are a lot of other songs that get into like tropisk house or like house chill out or and this is really minor stuff like compared to like people that are like way farther down the road than me but like for me it was like i need to get on these playlists because you know if i'm i'm if i have to go back to like working a day job and i can't do this um all my energy is going to be drained yeah like that's going to show through in my art you know so yeah Basically, like once you're in like a big playlist like that, they use like a, at least from what I can tell mm-hmm. and, and from what I've heard, it's like if the song does well, if it has like a lot of saves and, or, and like people listen to it all the way through a lot, then like they'll keep it on the list or like rise it up, like change the placement and stuff. So so you basically fought your way through that initial layer by manually contacting as many people that's what, that's what it sounds you have like to, to do me. like you have and to now, do everything you can yeah now it's kind of taken on its own life mm-hmm. yeah cool yeah it's really cool um and like the coolest thing that ever happened to me too was like um back in october the my song sensational love which is like the serious xm one that, mm-hmm. that they play um that one i think was on like a couple indie playlists which indie by indie i mean like not spotify hosted like community hosted playlists okay like that was on a couple of those for about a month and then the rest of like I think it's like a almost at hundred and ten thousand today or something like that. All of those have been organic, which is way more valuable because those you have are your audience then. Yeah, and those, cool. those are people actually look, looking it up and like because when something plays on like Sirius Radio and you're in your car, like Morgan Madison pops up on your dash, mm-hmm. and like you 
it's not like let me browse Instagram while I listen to Discover Weekly. It's more like um, I'm you're like forced to listen to that song, you know. So like it's a lot more yeah. like, of like a direct connection. But yeah, that's cool. What? Uh, how did you go down that rabbit hole of of pushing your music through that those yeah. different avenues and through Twitter and and things like that? What, what led you to that? I don't know. I just realized, like, um, I think uh, I just like when I when I released uh, Dream, like the very first song I released, which is like a long time ago now. It's like a year and a few months. Okay. I was like, I sort of realized um, the first day there were just like zero plays, (laughs) and I was like, oh, like no matter like what I make, like no one's gonna work harder for me than me. So I was like, there's no there's no reason at all. Like I quit my job. There's absolutely no reason at all I could, I couldn't take time out of my day, to message every human being physically possible that would be interested in this song. And like that's just what I did. And like it was, it was a hell of a grind. Like I don't really do that anymore on release days because now it's like I work with like a variety of different labels and they have they have like a marketing infrastructure in place usually. And um, okay. like the the next song, the next major song I have coming out is like through one like a Warner Brothers label. Um, and that's coming out like February 22nd. And in that case, I don't have to do any like playlist pitching at all because like their infrastructure is like so powerful, you know? Oh, cool. So that, that led you to that initial work just led you to the, being able to put that in the back burner then as far as the marketing is concerned and you can focus on the the art, yeah, which is the struggle for all of us out there that are trying to produce content and, and get viewers is, is that balance between how much time do you put into doing what you're passionate about and how much time do you put into yeah. the marketing aspect and selling yourself, which oddly enough, it seems like there's so many artists that are, that are introverted. <laughs> and yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to find that it's, it's hard. I mean, I commend you for that because, because that, that battle is, 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 is real on the video end too, just having to sit and think of yeah. clever things to post on social media and different avenues that ways you can contact people to get more followers and, and, and garner all that. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's like definitely drives you insane. You start to think like, it's kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, it really does make you go crazy. Like uh, it's just so much work to like build like a, an audience, and then like f- like for me, the other thing too <clears throat> lately has been, you know, okay, so what? You know, like you got like millions of streams from from these services. Like people are listening. So how does that? How how now do you make it translate to a tangible long term career? Yeah, what's your plan you know? for that? Are you still figuring that out? <laughs> no, I mean like I'm I, I every song I've done lately or it has up the ante. Um, oh, okay. And so like like I I sh- I'm going to be putting out like an official remix for Lay Youth okay. soon as well and like a few other things, but um the problem I'm seeing especially and I can really only speak to like electronic market like you know the market with like bands and everything's different. Yeah. But like in electronic music there's a kind of an issue right now where it's like the chill stuff, the stuff that's like catchy and poppy and chill, like does really well in a listening context, which is why so many people like save my stuff. But in terms of getting a, like a crowd that's like super passionate and wants to come out to like a tour. Okay. It's like, you know, how does that, how are we going to do that basically? And that's my last EP sort of went more towards club music. Like it's like four on the floor. And what I'm really passionate about is like Deep House and 
tech house and nightclub stuff because I think that atmosphere is really like unique. And it was there. It was there. I mean, it was there like in the 80s, there mm-hmm. in the 90s, it was there in the, the 10s or the 2000s, there in the 10s. It hasn't hasn't budged. Yeah. And whereas this whole like streaming culture based off like playlist exposure has only come about in like the last three years. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I mean, in my opinion, it's sort of like generated this huge chasm between like stats and uh, like a real career, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know the next time Spotify is going to half their royalties because they've already done that. Oh, yeah. I so, suppose. Like, and like, it's, it's got to be just supply and demand. Yeah, and the demand is is whatever you know their 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 supply is their service, but it's also the music. Yeah, and so the more music that gets uploaded, the more people, the smaller your share of the pie. Yeah, I would I, just about I, imagine. I was talking to a guy the other day. Uh, I think he said um, it's something like I can't remember if it's thirty thousand new artists a day, or if it's fifty thousand per week. Oh my gosh, something like that. That's a lot either way. Yeah, and so what you're starting to see is like this huge um, problem where like, so there's a couple different pillars of it too. It's like first of all, like Spotify completely changed the the market, like it completely obliterated like the previous systems of consuming music. Like yeah, like with Discover Weekly and what they've essentially done now is like the stats are just stats. Like it's not before like if you go on iTunes or Apple Music you still don't see how many times someone's being streamed and like no matter how professional your profile looks on Spotify like if you're if your numbers aren't there like they're not there yeah. it doesn't matter where they're coming from you know so which is always something that has to come first but like the problem that that I'm trying to deal with is like you know that the market's so volatile right now and the stats are there for me to work with to like launch off into whatever direction I need to go next in order to like get to that next thing but the other problem is like um, from, for my catalog personally, who do we like, if I need to go to a promoter or, or a manager to book like an opening spot or they want to throw me in like a, you know, like a tour or something hypothetically, it's like, who do we market this guy to? Like, I've got like a trap banger, a tropical house song, and then like a chill down tempo song. It's like a lot of those genres and stuff I create are like clashing with each other. Okay. So like, there's a lack of consistency too, but. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I, I can no, talk about it for it, hours. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of sounds like you're on the 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 back end of what a lot of uh, performance artists. It sounds like you're 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 basically there to you're on the digital end, and you need to bust in through to the live end because yeah. live music has been happening since the beginning of time. Is that yeah? <laughs> kind I mean, of where you're, where your your thought process is as far as like where you need to go next. Yeah, it's like. Okay. I love like DJ sets. Like I love like um, deep house, like two hour DJ sets, like by guys like Lane Eight or like Yodo or or uh, Eric Prids, Dead Mouse style stuff. I think in a live setting that works really well, and I think people really identify with that. But it, the problem is, it doesn't when I started, like if I was to come out the gate with like a bunch of deep house, I didn't know who to market that to, and I I wouldn't be on the radio right now if I was only making deep house. But at this point, I'm starting to realize like to get into a tour circuit like I don't know it's like there you need to there's this like really annoying balance of like business versus uh music once you get to that point and it's like how do you properly put out art that you care about but also keep it consistent enough that that promoters are going to know exactly how to sell you for every different festival and things like that you know 
What did one of your live sets look like? What is that? I just, I, it's a DJ set. Okay. So like I, I do, I'll do like half my stuff's like house. Okay. And so I'll play a lot of that. But I mean, it's kind of the problem I'm having too is like the only my recent stuff that I've put out really works in a live context. Um, I don't, okay. I, I can't play piano. I can't play guitar. <clears throat> the only thing I can play is drums. Okay. So like I can't just like show up with a whole drum set at like a nightclub, you know. It's like yeah. it's not gonna work. And yeah. so um and I'm I'm really good at uh, DJing too. And so I I'm kind of trying to move more towards that because I think there's a really cool club culture like around house music, and I think it really works well. Like last last week, the my the guys at SiriusXM gave me uh, barely a day notice. They're like they're like uh hey Morgan like. You know, do you care? Do you care if we play your guest mix on Sirius XM again this weekend? And then, like, I get an email ten minutes later. He goes, uh, he goes, um, wait, like, am I going crazy? You did a guest mix, right? If not, do you want to do a guest mix? And so I wake up at eight thirty that morning, read the email, and I'm like, uh, yeah, like, what's the procedure and timeline? He's like, well, we like, we're gonna have to get it today, or you know, in order to play it this weekend. So I I did recorded my voice intro, uh, and just DJed the whole set in one take. And then just like shipped the wave file over to them, and then it aired like um, the following night. Oh, sweet! So it was like that's pretty stressful, though. Yeah, I mean it was pretty stressful, but it's like I don't know. DJing is just like a really interesting art form to me because like you know if you only, for instance, I only spend like a minute and a half on each song, okay. and I like to mix like a lot in key. So like when the songs are meshing together and like between the drops and the builds and everything like that, there are a lot of interesting variations of how you can sort of like build up the energy before you drop into the next thing and everything like that. What does that look like? Because I'm, I like I said, I was talking, telling you earlier, I got into the FL Studios. I haven't really messed with anything since, like a friend of mine had like a DJ set in 2003, which was literally the two vinyl turntables with the slide. Yeah. You know, uh, what? what is, how has that changed in like the last, however long that would be, 15 years? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really hasn't. It's oh, okay. like I it's like the base form of what DJing is is like uh or like primarily accessible DJing. Like I'm not you're not gonna see me up there like fl- like flicking the vinyl around the scratching, you know? Yeah. But like it goes down to the question of like what when you're like a composer, like what is live? Like when you're just like a one guy composer. Okay. You know, it's like if you listen to my songs, I'll take vocals from like singers and everything like that and I'll design the song around it. It'll be like a really cohesive vision and everything, but there's not really a way to do it live except DJing. Like it's it's like what am I supposed to do? Like get get on stage and have like a little APC40 set up and just play one lead synth? Like you know like I get, mm-hmm. like if I just play one lead synth in front of a crowd like it's, it's just going to be my head like inside. It's just going to be me looking down like this and playing some stuff. That's not really exciting. Yeah. What is exciting is like how is like building like a journey of a set that's like two hours long. Yeah. With a bunch of banging music that's like emotional but still clubby and things like that. Um, and then being able to kind of feed off the audience as far as where you want to go next. Yeah. With all of that. That's it's, cool. It's way more casual than like – it's interesting because like you can sort of build like a really cool cool journey when you do that. But – it also got me thinking about like, um, like what is live? Like if you look at like a rock band, like it's cool that they have the skill to just sort of replicate what's on the album. But like mm-hmm. strictly speaking, when you see a, a like a rock band live, they're literally you're literally playing just an ear damaging, less clear version of like what's on the album, unless mm-hmm. the guitarist goes out and plays like a solo. In which case, yeah. like that's that's really cool, or like a drum solo or something like that. But I don't even think DJing exists in like the same realm. It's more like um, it's more like how you present it and. 
like it's just the cleanest form of like displaying electronic music in my opinion and that's there's a there's a good reason why it's the industry standard too yeah because like the thing is like if, if i keep going like in the house music direction and like deep house and tech house like you can easily you can throw me in a nightclub you we you could throw me in an opener slot on a tour with like a bigger act like transact you know or something like that you know it's so palatable whereas if i if it was a live setup and like i got like i got a drummer a guitarist to play like some of those guitar parts, which I'm moving away from anyway, it's going to be more more synths in the future. Okay. So it's like, I mean, I mean, you'd have to lug all that gear. You could basically only do like hard ticket sales shows at like uh, venues, like the, where you have to sell hard tickets. And that's the other thing too is like a lot of electro- electronic is based off of like soft tickets. So like, it's like, what's the difference there? So like so- soft ticket sales, like um, it's like a festival booking. So like, okay. So people buy like a pass or like right on. a Treat ticket, like a ticket to a tour, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say I was to hop on. Like, this would never happen. But like, let's say like someone like Eric Prids, who's like a like a deep club record like legend. Okay. Let's say he's gonna go on a tour to like promote his new album, which he's probably not gonna put out another album. But just hypothetically, <clears throat> if I go in the opener slot, it's more about like what my catalog looks like and my general recognition and statistics rather than how many more tickets are going to sell because Morgan's on the billing. Okay. So like, I mean, you, and that's another hard question too, is like how long until these new acts that are coming up through the streaming culture actually sell their own tours, you know? So it's like uh, a lot of electronic music is we're going to go because there's a sick lineup. Like Seven Lions is playing, you know, XYZ artists, XYZ, we're going to catch them at this time, blah, 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 blah. Whereas like when they go on their own tours, they don't really sell that much. So like a lot of guys in the business now will like, like they'll have like a 30k $30,000 flat fee to play at festivals because of their like reputation that they carry but like sometimes when they go through a tour like in the west somewhere random like Idaho or like in the midwest or or like a market that doesn't really isn't really too into them they'll only sell like four tickets oh wow and so like the venue will have to like comp the rest of the tickets and or, or whatever and so so that's different than in the electronic music Realm. That's is how that what you're that's, saying. It's, that's it's, how it is in, in the electronic realm. So you have to you have to basically get a, a tour together, like Lollapalooza almost, but with yeah, I mean like those musicians to get it to yeah. I mean stick. it's it's even less about touring too. Like where I want to go is more like club culture. Okay, which is like you know if you have like a 200 person cap club, like usually like the people who go um, are are part of like a larger scene. So like they'll be like uh you know Friday nights at like some you know some like resident club in Miami they'll announce like their summer DJs that are residents and like they'll they'll show up and and DJ and like it's part of like a more like an embedded culture whereas like a band basically is like we're going to record an album we're going to take 2 years to record that album and then we're going to tour the album for 2 years and then we're going to record another album and it's like in this alternating wave yeah whereas like with like what I do basically you can drop music so fast and like it sort of fits into like a larger, like as long as I stick with house, basically it'll fit into like a larger culture because everyone else is playing everyone else's tracks. And like, of course, when you play live, you want to play like 80% of your own music or else it's like, yeah, why are people there? You know? Yeah. That makes sense. So. That's cool. I, I like the way you describe it too. Uh, as far as that live performance, I, um, <clears throat> some of the worst concerts I've ever been to are the ones where I thought, why didn't I just play the album at home? You know, dude, I, I know. I hate it. And yeah, it's so like I, um, my, uh, I was, I was a fish fan when I was in college. So I went to, I did the shows. 
you know what I mean? Like I went to the 40,000 people and like with the tents and like the whole thing. And yeah. so, so when I started off with that, which their stuff sounds nothing like the album at all. When you go see them live, I mean, they'll play like a couple songs, but then they just go off on these like tangential jams and you're there for like four hours. And yeah, that's really, the best. They're feeding off the crowd. <clears throat> but uh, so, so I really dig that. Um, and so that's what I look for when I go to, to see live music, either something I haven't seen before, which tree Ford is amazing for that because mm-hmm. you can just be walking around and, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it sounds like the album or not, cause you're not exposed to it. But then also like, like those, those groups that you go see live and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is an added experience. Yeah. You know? Um, but that's, that's cool. I mean, the electronic and, um, Actually, I just started thinking about it within the last year because there's a there's a documentary on Netflix about the history of hip hop. Oh, Have you really? Seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, it's super interesting because they talk about um, in New York. Uh, basically, what happened uh, was that a lot of the the hip hop artists started just by you know they called it break dancing, but they were using their their vinyl um, their parents' vinyl records as their instrument because they didn't have any money to like get a oh, guitar you mean like the sampling yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and so they'd start sampling on that and then they'd mark on the on the vinyl like where the different parts are and then they'd connect two three vinyl players together and then mix them and and that's how it all all started and then they'd watch um they they'd play at the parties and then they'd keep them the the break going so that everybody could dance to it and then someone would start emceeing and shouting out their friends and stuff and then the hip hip yeah it was it was really interesting but it, but that's uh, actually super similar it's cool that you bring that up like that's that's really interesting because like a lot of people will say like I remember when the sampling debate was like really big in in hip hop. It's like because uh, I took like a music course back when I was way younger, and uh, the big debate was is sampling okay? Like if Kanye West is going to use like just a looped sample and just rap over it for four minutes, did he really do that much work? It's like then it's not really the point. Like the point is like is the end result something you enjoy? I mean, it doesn't yeah. really matter like how they got there. So like when you see like Kanye West live, like. He's actually doing a lot less than a DJ. Like he's literally like on. They'll play the track and he'll like jump around and and just like rap over the over the track. But you know what? It's hype and people love it and it mm. works and that's fine. And yeah. so like, I I don't know. It's it's an interesting debate for sure. Yeah, I I, I don't see. I mean, everything comes from something before. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess I mean, when it's you, like I guess when you sample, it literally is that that piece, but it's still an amalgamation of all those other pieces on top of it and yeah. what you hear and almost yeah. like a, a, a filter, like a personal filter. You know, I mean, that's all artists are. They're just taking whatever they see or hear and then putting it through their filter and then regurgitating so that you can see how they see it is, is the way I think about it. You know? Yeah, it's definitely true, man. I mean, I, the other thing too is, you know, it's interesting that you brought, brought up the sampling. It's like in dance music, and electronic music, like at least for me and a lot of other people and in, in the generation of music makers that I'm in, like one of the most respected electronic albums like of all time is uh, Daft Punk's Discovery. Oh, okay. From like 2001. Yeah, I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've listened to that one all like, the way through. Like, Daft Punk is one of those, those groups that's on my Spotify list. Yeah. And it's interesting, like that album is all samples like the genre of french house that that these guys like revolutionized dance music and house like period like they're like one of the pioneers of like bringing house into a new life and everything like that but every every hit record that they put out was like basically sampled and then they would just take a vocoder and make their you know the signature robot voices yeah make some cool vocals that are catchy and repetitive and like that was it but it didn't matter that like they're one of their biggest probably their biggest hit is uh, i mean aside from their newer stuff which is 
interesting, but like their biggest hits like that song One More Time. Mm-hmm. And One More Time is just a loop sample of a of a uh disco soul track. Yeah. It takes one it takes like one bar of that track and just goes da 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 that's the whole song. Yeah. The whole song. And then like the break is just like them with like autotune vocals. But no, you know what? No one gave them shit because it's like it's about like the taste of how you sample or like how you present something that matters. It's not necessarily what it is that you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I never thought of it that way. That is kind of they did take the they did take something very monotonous and make it interesting, though. Too was another way to look at it. You yeah, know, it's like the you, you never know how many degrees. Like it could be you never know how many degrees you can go. Like you can push something else to make it become a whole other thing. Like maybe you just need to like loop it. Yeah. Like and no one's and thought of it yet. Yeah, just keep know? going over. Almost like in Family Guy when they keep pushing that joke like way too far and then it gets funny again. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah it's exactly what's like. So with yeah. music, um, I kind of I wanted to chat a little bit. So I suspect now that we've been talking that your uh, background in working for a lobby firm and basically I'm guessing some sort of business and that definitely helped you transition into making your music career viable. Yeah. Well, before I don't have anything in my nose, do I? I feel like I have no, some... you're okay, good. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Like it was interesting um, when I graduated college in uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad and I had this really interesting, strange, kind of stupid idea to like, we formed like our own LLC and then he like retired as like CEO of a company that he was in before. And he was like, you know what? Like we can do this, like we'll do this like father and son, like business idea. And it was basically like, like high level business development, not like not like we were like incredibly important people, sort of high level. I meant like in sort of in a technical sense, like how do we properly handle these equity splits and like develop this IP into like this sort of thing where we can take like the equity shares from it later on after the product has been widely distributed through you know like all the stuff. And like I didn't, I I had an English degree, oh, so nice. I was like very articulate about how I thought about things and how 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 things get explained. But I had no real like business acumen. So the most immediate thing that I did out of school was just like breathing through a fire hose of like just like all this like business stuff that like but at that particular age you really shouldn't like understand because that's like stuff you run into when you're like 45 and like you've climbed the ranks of like your exxon like business sector whatever dang so like um you got a crash course then yeah and it was like pretty it was pretty merciless um and then so uh after that we sort of like um yeah i mean i had an internship with that particular firm here, and then um, okay. went full time pretty shortly after, because it was like I knew the I knew the people, they trusted me, I I trusted them. It was like they knew I was hardworking and I was young. I was very fresh. It was very new. Yeah. But like they, it was sort of like just a good deal. It was like you know most of us are like older, and you know you're like fresh blood, and like it was just a good setup there. And so I did that for a while, and um, you know like pay the bills and like it was going to be a good path but like I just I just had this you know really aggressive pull in my heart to do something that like really mattered and I understood when I uh, quit that that um, it was going to be really hard like a lot of people like um, romanticize what it's like to go full time but like I still don't make bank I mean I get like a thousand bucks a month from hundreds of thousands of Spotify streams and then like I just got on the radio like 
four months ago. You know what I mean? And I think like uh, through Sound Exchange, like songwriter ra- radio royalties are like, I mean, that six, seven grand if you own a hundred percent. So I'll probably get like a few grand per song that that I put on there. So it's like, you know, still scraping by really. Um, and then there's publishing royalties and I actually started a site. I got such a crazy story. So I started a side project too, uh, which I'll talk, we can talk about more if you want, but it's basically like, like lo-fi hip hop. Okay. And it's only on Spotify basically. And I called it, um, it was just a joke at first. It was like, this is a prime marketing experience experiment. And it was to supplement my income as Morgan Madison. So like, um, I was like, let me make some, Hip hop infused like lo-fi beats, like low fidelity, just like shitty, like fuzzy beats that are rustic around the edges and like kind of hipster. Sound like it's coming off of a tape deck or something. Right, exactly. And I was okay. like, because uh, there's a lot of because I this is another playlist thing. I looked it up, and mm-hmm. there's like a huge passionate playlist community that likes to study the lo-fi beats. Oh, okay. And so like, I created this artist name. I was like, I'm gonna call it Not Yourself because like, it's, I don't know, like that was the most hipster thing I could come up with. Mm-hmm. Made my profile picture on Spotify, just like me with a hood on and like a white block over my eyes mm-hmm. and then put out like a bunch of lo-fi hip-hop songs and like multiple songs got picked up so like my not yourself alias gets like over 2,000 streams a day on spotify like it just like sits around at like twenty-seven thousand monthly listeners and then i just absorb the the income from from that oh, and wow. it's entirely based on playlisting and the craziest part is that like you'll see like a lot of people like in future bass or like dubstep that are like into bass music and they like really care about like their art and everything like that, but like can't quite find the right market for it unless they get signed to like, you know, Seven Lines record label or like one of those bass heavy labels. But the thing is just like those, it was kind of like an example of like uh, the power of playlisting and like correct marketing and things like that. But um, that's totally off topic. I just wanted to explain that because like I don't just, it's not just as Morgan Madison, there's like two things there that really like uh, prop me up and help me keep going. And one was just a gamble. Yeah. That's cool. And it was, I mean, I think I, I spent less than two hours making, like, I think the top song is called, like, Morning Coffee. Mm-hmm. It just starts, it's literally, like, a minute and 40 seconds of just this loop with, like, a guitar, and I just put, a, like, a bunch of distortion on it and made a cool beat. Yeah. And just put it out, and that was it. And now it's got, like, like 310,000 streams or something like that. Dang. So it's, like, yeah, it's just about, like, knowing where it's going to go and everything like that. But um, anyway, sorry about that, that yeah, side, no side thing. Um, yeah, it definitely did help because, like, it helped me uh, from a business sense too. Like when you start like getting like uh, record deal contracts, like a lot of people just kind of sign them off. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So like, I, I actually worked in uh, uh, admin for a mental health clinic, and so we build Medicaid, and so I was in charge yeah, of oh human resources and That's policy. Be and pres- like- yeah. So like, uh, I did that for a few years, and uh, that was one of the most boring jobs as far as that's concerned like the policy end you know i spent like 25 percent of my time just like on like policy and yeah. procedure and how to execute things <laughs> You're and like, how things just need to be like oh my god written and stuff you know and then but the thing is after doing that now i can look at a contract and i can be like okay well this is important this is important and it, yeah. and the thing is, is people don't think about that a lot of times when they do sign those uh, I mean, I, I don't know about uh, musical. They don't, uh, you know. But but just in general, in life, when you're at at a bank or whatever, you know, and you're opening an account, like a lot of those things are pretty applicable. You know, and yeah. you get nailed with overdraft fees because you're not careful. It's like, oh, okay, well, it's all in this fine print, and it affects you negatively. You know? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Dude, like, so you you read your contract then? <laughs> yeah, like I read my stuff because yeah. like a lot of people don't realize like um, 
most of the like some of the labels that I've worked with uh, have like the backing of and it doesn't say publicly like it'll say like the label name and like you'll know the DJ or music producer who's really popular that started the label mm-hmm. and then you'll get the contract and I started reading it and and this is pretty standard for like when you when people start when you start to get traction people want to sign you not only that they want to sign your track like what you want to think is you want to think gee like they believe in my project like I, I think they want me to do multiple songs with them like that's so sick like I'm just gonna sign this and like they'll like me because I'm like chill to work with and everything like that so but it's like not like that at all so you'll find like options in the contract I think one like multiple times I caught them that say uh you know if the song we're working with you on meets 1 million streams which it probably will based on their promotional setup you are obligated to give us first dibs over your next release ready master so oh, it's wow. like so if you do well you're ours yeah you're and ours then, well well yeah if they call it back too cuz like a lot of people like won't read the contracts and then um later on they'll be like let's okay so for example like if i just willy-nilly signed a contract like one of the um I just signed a, I got a song coming out with a label called Night Vision, mm-hmm. which is like a subsidiary of Warner Brothers because of their promotional setup in the back end. And uh, when I first was looking over the contract, for instance, I don't, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but who really cares? But like, I was first looking it over and like, there was this provision in there that's like, you know, if the song passes, you know, X threshold, basically like you're obligated to do another thing. I was like, I eventually negotiated that out and um, upped, upped my end because I was polite about it and very like mm-hmm. communicative. And I was like, I really want to work with you guys because I think this is a perfect fit. However, like, I don't really know if it's in my best interest to, to take this deal. It's like, you know, 80% in your favor or whatever. So like we negotiated it out and I started to realize I looked at other artists that have like worked with labels in, in similar situations and you'd see like, um, like they would put it out a single with like X, X label and X, Y, or Z label. And then like two years down the line when the artist is like really popped off, that particular label will come back and say like, hey, there's this tiny little option in our contract. Like you got to come back and do a single with us. And so they will be like two years deep into their uh, record recording contract with like the label they're at with right now. Mm -hmm. And this other label come out of the blue and it's your fault because you didn't read the freaking option. So it's like, it's like, oh, like, no, like I got to leave my deal with this other one. I got to breach this contract to go and fulfill this contract because I didn't look at the, look at the option, you know? So like, God knows what that's going to do like with, uh, with the one you have over here. But Mm -hmm. like, you just, it's really like. It can be as much or as little a problem like as you want it to be. Like as long as you're professional and you work w- with them, like I'm sure you can work stuff out. But you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you just took a bunch of contracts because you knew it was going to get like two million streams because of the label setup. Like you do, you want to look it over because if you have five outstanding contracts where they can call back a master under certain thresholds, like yeah, you're pretty much screwed. You know, yeah. Like I think it took Metallica. Like Metallica only like a few years ago got the rights to their masters back. Oh wow! Because the uh, the the outstanding claim of the labels uh, license on those masters was like forty years or whatever. Dang, that's yeah the 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 yeah. I mean that was quite the quite the stranglehold. 
that the that a lot of the record yeah. labels had on on musicians back in the day. Um, I was uh, actually there's uh, Billy Corgan doesn't did an interview recently on Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was super awesome. Um, very enlightening as far as like because you could tell that he he had basically matured a lot since Smashing Pumpkins became famous, but he he realized that that was in hindsight that it wasn't their best option. The yeah. way that the, they negotiated the contract. Which and he is, was the main songwriter. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you heard it there. It was, like, basically, like, that's the other thing, too. Like, I, guys who do what I do are, like, a single project. Like, I am a songwriter. I do all the mixing, mm-hmm. all the mastering, like, which is another boat. Because usually you got to, like, if you're a band, you just play the instrument. Yeah. Like, someone, like, your lead singer is writing the song. It's another share. And then, like, you got to hire a mixing engineer. Got to hire a mastering engineer. And, like, yeah. all, after all that's done, like, the major labels take an 80%. Yeah. And like they're they're giving you like a 360 degree deal where they pay for like your tour, you know. And at the end like the whole band ends up actually being like 100k in debt. <laughs> uh, like unless you keep going. So like and then Billy on the podcast like Joe Rogan was like, "Hey man, like what what percentage of like bands that actually sign like major re- label deals do you think actually end up being all right?" He's like, "Maybe 10%." And I think that's generous. And it's true. Like Yeah, that's crazy. If you go back and you look at all these Cuz they're doing like, all right. Yeah, the labels are fine. Yeah, well, they don't care. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a business, though. You know, I yeah. guess that's we we were talking about cake earlier, and that's kind of one of those things that because they they do a lot of their own uh, independent stuff. I I think they're I can't remember their their record label that they're with, but I don't know. They don't they produce all their own stuff too, which is why I'm a huge, which I'm a huge fan of of that because you can hear the evolution of their skills in working in a studio. <laughs> yeah, over the course of their first album versus their more recent stuff, like. <laughs> Yeah, it was, man. It's their like, first album is pretty like it's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> like just like straight garage band. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was you know I, I probably would have been done early '90s too, but yeah, it was it was super rough. But they did it themselves, you know. Like they figured out how to work the soundboard. They figured out how to do all the sound adjustments and and all the balancing and mixing on their own, which is which is pretty slick. But they said you can either explain how to do it. you can either try to explain to somebody how to do it, um, and then basically accept the compromise between that miscommunication or just figure out how to do it yourself. That's Which, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always better to like just dive in and like figure it out because then, because then you have universal control later on, you know? Yeah. But I mean, props to them. I didn't actually know that about cake. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do so all their, cool. they do all their own stuff, all their own studio work. Um, when you were a drummer, did you ever play any groups at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were shit. Yeah. But, uh, did you, know. you, and that didn't, uh, that didn't inspire you. You get inspired on your Well, the thing about drums is like, computer. I was like a a technical metal drummer. Okay. So like I would play a lot of like periphery and uh, animals as leaders and like all this like crazy like seven, four time signature kind of crap. Okay. And and um I uh, actually like I, I think it was during like a slipknot song. I was thinking I was playing like the Heretic Anthem by Slipknot where it's just like double bass the entire time. And it was just like and it was like that was my thing. It was like my feet were faster than my hands and like I had like the fastest feet at like around. Like just no one could do double bass the way I was doing it. But the problem was I was an ignorant ass and when I was doing the double bass like I would my my heel on my right foot would be fine because I'd have proper technique. But on my left foot I would just pound my foot into the pedal with a stiff foot. So I would just stiffly like pound my foot into there. So I got, I eventually developed like a really severe case of plantar fasciitis. Oh, wow. So now I don't play the drums anymore. I just like, it's just like, cause on multiple fronts, it's like, why, you know, I'm going to injure myself. Plus it's like, you know, with what I do now, I can actually build like a piece of art that has like meaning. Whereas before I was just banging the hell out of stuff and 
it was like you got an endorphin rush, but like I couldn't really. Yeah. Because then it's even with drums, it's like even with guitar, it's mm-hmm. like you have to find like three or four other people that are on the same page, yeah. on the same skill level before you can even make the good art. And then after you make the good art, you got to get a proper like marketer, like graphic designer, mixing mm-hmm. engineer, mastering engineer, like all this other stuff. So it's like, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, it is. Play, playing with people can be difficult, especially if all of a sudden money gets thrown into the into the equation. Not that I, have, I, didn't, I don't have a huge amount of experience with that, but I've been paid to play at bars, you know, yeah. versus just playing there for free. And yeah, it's like, I mean, it's and like, then it turns into this 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 interesting dynamic with with everybody and, and the true colors start to come out. Yeah, and you may not have known you may have played like, with them for like five and years. It's like for like forty bucks, you know, at the end yeah, of the night, it's like, like where everybody's concerned about who's showing up the most to practice, and you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, almost like it's almost. Uh, I tell uh, people about this because I had a couple bands that that uh, actually did like really enjoyed it, but at the same time, it's like it's it's like dating multiple people is yeah. the the closest like I can get to describing it to people. Is like when you're playing in a band, it's like if you have like several girlfriends and you're still trying to like appease like that entire group dynamic, it's really hard. Yeah, dude, I can't even. Um... I, I still remember in high school, like when I quit the band and, and the guitarist was like, what the hell, man? Like he wouldn't talk to me for like a year after that. She's like, <laughs> he was like, you just broke us up. Like that was our life. Like, what are you doing? And our future. Is I was like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I don't feel, and that's the other thing too with the band. It's like, rarely do you ever feel like you're actually getting your full like art out, you know, which is, mm-hmm. it's a cliche, but it's like a really big deal. You know, if you're a guitarist yeah, and you're the shit, which obviously mostly in rock bands guitarists are like there's a reason why guys like frank zappa or like his son are are the band like the Mm -hmm. rest of the guys are just touring members or like permanent members but the band is like you know frank zappa's band or like yeah steve vai steve vai yeah it's like no one you know it's like Mm -hmm. it is steve vai and and it's like if you're in a band where you have to fully compromise sometimes it's like you never really yeah well, I mean, you just, you just listen to the Beatles stuff and you can tell who wrote which song. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And and the bands that all sound cohesive, it's one person most likely just writing those songs or maybe a couple people collaborating. But yeah, you're yeah. Right. a lot of times it's just there's background musicians. Yeah, there. man. It's kind of sad, but it's like, you know, it's kind of like, well, at least like you get to, you know, if you can learn to like trust like, uh, you know, Freddie Mercury, for example, like, mm-hmm. like. Freddie's the shit. Like, he's iconic. You know, we're just going to, like, stick Freddie at the front of Queen and, like, you know, that's okay. Like, mm. you know, in the back in the back scenes, we can argue about who writes which songs. But, like, you know, it's almost advantageous to, like, have one person sort of be, like, the yeah. the front head of the, the brand, really. When it goes well, then it's amazing. But it's, yeah. it's very easy to have it fall apart with so many people. Yeah. Huh. Yes. I can't even imagine. I've never really been in that situation, so. So when's the best time for you to write music? When does it usually come to you? That was I don't one know. of my questions. I don't I don't really know. Um but randomly? Do you sit down? Yeah, like and I'll just like Are you disciplined about it or yes. is it just oh, okay. Yes, I wake up every day and I, I get my coffee and then I'll have like I know when certain waves come and like when they don't and then I'll take like entire days just to work on like marketing infrastructure and like go oh. go over like how how are things set up? Like am I ready to work with this person or like got like very like organized Dropbox folders of all my legal legal setup and it's all, like it's all there. But like yeah, I, I've, I've, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like sometimes, like the other, the other day, like a couple of days ago, it was like, it was like the end of the day, and uh, I was feeling really stuck. So I just loaded up a new project and um, dragged like a synth that I don't usually use into the project, put a kick drum in it, and then just like, 
like probably one of the, one of the coolest songs I've ever made in my entire life just came out like in one night. It was just there. Oh, and, nice. And like I went to bed, I was like, because usually as like a producer, like you get a few bleeps and bloops or whatever, like you get a cool beat going. Like the euphoria of the idea is like in your head and so you're pumped about it. Then you wake up the next day and you open the project. You're like, man, I got to hear that again. Like I was so passionate about it and it starts playing. It's just like, and it's like, you know, like really anticlimactic. But I turned yeah. it I turned it on like, what's today, Sunday? Like it turned it mm-hmm. on like, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, and I was like, "God damn, like it's it's real. Like how, how did this happen? Like it's almost like you don't even remember it." So, I don't know. It's, well, how much did you? How much of your time do you spend creative on the creative end, and how much do you spend on the admin? Um. Well, I mean, if you include like in creative, like actual music making, it's probably like fifty. Okay. Or yeah, I mean. There's a lot to it too. It's like I, I do a lot of work since I'm just like one guy. Um, I'll do like I did, I've done a lot of my own album artwork. Um, oh, okay. And so I, there's a lot that goes to it. Like, do you do like Photoshop and do you draw? Yeah. Well, I used to have Photoshop too, but okay. now I've developed relationships with like f- friends like that are also in the industry from like different states and oh, okay. people. We help each other out. Like I'll master their their album and like like for instance like the friendship I have with this guy named Josh. Um, he like for my very first show in August, like he he drove five hours to since like to Cincinnati with his guitar just to show up and play guitar over Sensational Level. I was DJing and oh cool. So like he's like really good uh, graphic designer, but he like um like makes like he does like orchestral work and like film scores. Okay, so he's not too keen on like how to like get the all the frequencies aligning right and like mastering the track so oh, like our it. deals basically like with the destination GP. EQ and all that stuff to make sure that you're not covering up the vocal yeah man like right. you know, i'm all about that stuff it just like kind of comes out and i found my own way to do it and it works really well and so basically he was like uh he did all the art for the destination ep and then i mastered their a lot of his uh work like i think one of his film film scores like a short film and then uh yeah i mean it's just stuff like that because like a lot, cool of, a lot of times on the come up like like a mastering engineer for a proper master is going to be like 300 bucks mm-hmm. for like a single. Yeah. And it's like if you just sit down for like literally a month and study mastering and get the right stuff, like you can do it yourself. Yeah. Like it's just about like training your ear. And it's a lot of hard work and it sucks ass. And like it's really sucks, but it's so worth it because like you don't, later on you don't want to have like a situation where all you did was like produce the song you know, mm-hmm. and like everyone else just took it, took it and like made it great. It's like, I don't know. It's, it kind of turns me off a bit. I'm sure people are going to yell at me later and be like, it's <laughs> you, like, you need to have someone else mix your songs because uh, they, they have an objective ear. And I'm, so, I'm, I'm definitely sure that that's a good thing to do. But like, I feel like in my, in my particular position, like uh, I know what sounds good. Like, and there's a lot of people in the industry who do that. So hmm. yeah, like I, cake for instance, you know, yeah, cake. Yeah. There's a perfect example. Yeah. I, I, that's, uh, I, I, I definitely feel your pain on that end because I've, I've been trying to learn all that with the sound bounce. So my my sound experience comes from um, we shot a, a, our first feature film with a soccer mom camera and uh, a friend of ours had nice microphones, nice boom microphone. I don't remember. It's, you know, audio electri- uh, audio technica or something like that, you know, like $500 microphone. Yeah. And so he was there for about three quarters of the time. And the other three quarters of the time, it was we didn't get any audio. And so. I had to learn how to try to balance 
like the the microphone and then go oh, back God. in and then have people ADR and then like layer lines in over the top. And it's it's I mean it's janky. Like it's janky to this day, but like yeah. when I go back and listen to it, I'm like I've got I've progressively gotten better, but there's so many different things that you have to take into account. Yeah. Um, and then if we're in a place like this and you're recording an actor's voice into a microphone like this, even if it's the same one that you use live, it's gonna sound different than if you're well, there's the so many different like or outside. acoustic conditions. Yeah, it's just it's just nuts. And so I've spent a lot of time on an EQ slider, just moving it little nudge by nudge to try to get it like that much better. Yeah. And then it never ever is 100 percent perfect. Nope. And then every time I go back and listen to it, I can catch every little thing. And so then I just take it to somebody else, and I'm like, Hey, watch this. And then if they don't say anything, I'm like, We're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, they can't tell that I layered that up later. <laughs> it's never perfect, man. It's just never yeah. like. Dang. It, we're yeah. we're at an hour too. I was going to ask you one last question. I usually end on a question from uh, one of my friends, and uh, yeah, his name's Wes. He's uh, he, I call him the Abyss. He comes Wes the Abyss. Wes the Abyss. Okay. Uh, he uh, one of his questions is, uh, what should people study? Like in general? Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. Uh, usually, when you have to study, you don't know what you like, uh, so. Oh, that's a really hard question, man. It is. He comes like, up with tough ones. What a strange, like, just like existential crisis of a question. Um, yeah. So he, if you know him, though, he's very regimented. He takes like, day, like he'll take like four hours to study. He doesn't go to school, but he just. Have, like, oh, really? Yeah. He'll be like, I'm going to go study. What are you going to study today, Wes? Uh, I don't know. And then like whatever up. trips you trigger. Yeah. Like, I, it's like if I can go back to college, I probably would have done like a lot of astronomy or something. Oh, there we something, go. Something like additive, like, uh biology or mm -hmm. astronomy like i remember well oftentimes though like the stuff that you love is always the hardest but i mean i would mm -hmm. definitely go with that like definitely not what's easy like i don't know like i've always thought in college like uh, studying like e economics or like business is kind of redundant it's like i'm not really passionate about this it's like this is basically what i need to know yeah to like subsist like when i start doing what i'm passionate about you yeah. know what i mean it's like why would, I don't know, maybe the business end too. I, I, I've had, I have friends that, that went that route. And then I, I was at one point I was like, well, am I going to go down this, this, uh, working at this clinic and get into the admin side? And then, so it's like, do you get an MBA? And so I'd call my friend he's like, well, if you need the label, yeah. but he's like, at this juncture, you're really not going to learn anything. You're just going to go sit in there for yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't X know. amount of hours. Like, I suppose, like you, you know, if you went to go take get your MBA, they'd probably be asking you questions on like how you market on Spotify and social media in your classroom. You know what I mean? Like that's not in the book. No, <laughs> it's not. It's really not. And like most of the time, like if you go like get like a business degree or whatever the hell you think is going to be the most applicable, oftentimes you're going to be working right under the person that just went out and did it. You know what I mean? Mm. Because like you need to know that stuff yeah but like if you're not going to train your mind to like come up with the new ideas or establish your own thing it's kind of like you're never really going to reach that point where you're actually doing something that you want to study anyway i feel like or yeah. like uh, if, i don't know if that makes any sense but. yeah because eventually i i maybe it's just me though it's that entrepreneurial spirit is what people 
yeah gravitate towards and and it's funny that they'll even you even can get a degree in entrepreneurship but it just seems like so like ironic that you would sit in a class yeah, and have somebody lecture you and then <laughs> and I then you go out man. and do something that you're passionate about like why do you need to have somebody tell you for four years <laughs> i don't fucking know like i don't know, I don't know. not just rip on all these business degree people out there listening to us right yeah, now they're but... probably like fuck that guy like and i don't know like just do something you're passionate about most mm. of the time it's not going to work you just need to yeah. accept that like that's the way it goes, you know? And uh, yeah. Then just figure it out. Just like you did. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just kind of like, if it works, that's, that's awesome. And then uh, keep up the relentless uh, self-criticism to a healthy extent and then you'd be okay. And just, just, just like, keep just out of that depressive zone and <laughs> yeah, to where you're yeah, still productive. Be borderline on the, on the like depressive like uh, zone and yeah. then sort of try to keep yourself out of this. Just in that range between almost almost super depressed and almost way too anxious to be able to function <laughs> yeah there cool. you go all right well thanks for coming on morgan yeah and man. Uh, yeah. you're gonna be playing at tree fort i don't think we have the dates yet but just let me know and i can attach it on the comments and stuff on on youtube yeah to the video yeah i don't think i'm supposed to say uh, i do you know i know i'm playing on the cool but uh yeah there there you have it so and we'll then figure it you, out. You can, give, you can give me the time in the in the, yeah. in the venue and stuff like that. Yeah, That's that gonna sounds be exciting perfect, man. Year. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
typical sensational Feeling it sensational Typical sensational Feeling it sensational Feeling it sensational 